You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. My name is Dan Johnson, and as always, I am your host. Today, we talk with Aaron McKinney out of Fort Dodge, and we talk about his family's archery shop, right? It's it's an outdoor shop, but on this episode, we're going to be strictly focused on getting set up, getting your equipment set up for archery, right? Talking about bow hunting, we talk about arrows, we talk about broadheads, we talk about things like draw length and poundage all the stuff that you need to know about getting your bow set up for uh, the bow hunting seasons here in Iowa as well as maintenance tips and tricks so we talk a little bit about everything some uh, best practices some maintenance so you know things like rests and sights and uh, cams and all a whole bunch of different things that are important when it comes to making sure you have the right archery equipment for the bow hunting season and uh, that is what we talk about in today's podcast now before we get into today's podcast i just want to say if you haven't already go to the iowa sportsman facebook page make sure you're following along there also keep an eye out for the iowa sportsman instagram page that's going to be coming very soon also Go to iowasportsman.com, and there you will find tons of great articles about everything, all the outdoor happenings in the state of Iowa, fishing, waterfowl, turkey, hunting, a whole bunch of awesome content there, as well as on the website, you can get the magazine as well. You can sign up uh, and and subscribe to the magazine. So go do all of those things, iowasportsman.com. And if you haven't already, please go to iTunes or wherever you download this podcast and leave us a five-star review. That would let everybody else know that you love this podcast and we would definitely appreciate it. So enough of the introduction. Let's get into today's podcast with Aaron McKinney. All right. On the phone with me right now, Mr. Aaron McKinney. How you doing, man? 
Doing well. How are you doing today? I cannot complain. I don't know what it's like up in your neck of the woods because you're in northwest Iowa, right? Yeah, we're up in northwest Iowa. It's not too bad up here. We finally got a sunny day. and I think it's supposed to get in the low 40s, maybe mid-40s, so not a bad day. Right, right. I tell you, the... Uh, it's great. Even though it's been a, you know, the temperatures have been below normal. I'm just thankful that I can get my dang kids out of the house because they they had some cabin fever really bad this year, and they all they wanted to do is get out and run. And finally, we had like three days. This is the third day of sunshine in a row, and now it's just get them outside and run them till they fall asleep, basically. I hear you there. You know, a lot of people have had cabin fever. I think this this whole winter has just been pretty brutal on us. I think everybody's wanting to get outside, and whether it be hunting or whatever they do, um, you know, get outside and do some stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this. Do you do any spring activities like shed hunt or mushroom hunt or turkey hunt? You know, I used to do all of them, but since we've uh, started the store, oh, was it nine years ago, uh, I just don't have enough time. I kind of pick my times when I hunt. So I do a lot of deer hunting in the fall, um, yeah. turkey and, and mushroom and that. I'm usually pretty busy, uh, so I don't get as much time to do that as I used to. Yeah, and and that's kind of a perfect transition because we're going to talk about uh, the bow shop that your family owns and uh, or the archery shop that your, that your family owns. And uh, I've had... I've talked with some guys before who own bow shops, and they're all real passionate outdoorsmen. They're all real passionate bow hunters, and they love to go out during the rut and, you know, October and, and hunt. But it's also their busiest time of the year, so it makes no sense to me. Like, that's the last thing that I would ever want to do is open up a bow shop because I don't, like, I just want to go out and hunt that time of year. Oh, yeah, and then we all do. I do as well. It's just you kind of got to... You know, I used to go out probably five, six, seven days a week. Now, you know, the nice thing is if I, I can come into work at 10, 30, 11 in the morning so I can hunt that morning, then I'll work till, you know, 6 or 7 o'clock at night, get all my work done, and then I can do it again the next morning. So I kind of plan so I can still get out and do some hunting because I really, really enjoy it, but I really also enjoy getting, the, you know, new people into archery or getting people that's been in it for a long time set back up with new equipment. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so – bow shop uh how long had you said nine years you guys have owned it yeah almost nine years so yeah we we kind of opened up we it's it's a all sporting goods store i mean we do fishing hunting okay guns archery everything we have a little archery range in back that's a 24 hour day range um you know the, probably the biggest deal in our store though would be archery as far as most sales gotcha. so it, it's you know it's quite enjoyable we hold we carry a couple real high-end lines matthews and hoyt which, which really helps bring uh, customers in as well. Yeah. So what's the name of your shop and where is it located? It's the Iowa Outdoor Store in Fort Dodge, Iowa. It's at the intersection of Highway 169 and Highway 7. Uh, it's just on the northwest side of town there in Fort Dodge. Gotcha. Okay. So you mentioned that um, a lot of people, you know, you carry everything. Right. You know, you fishing equipment, archery, you carry guns, camo, you know, the whole nine yards. Now, one thing that I'm always curious about is for me, I take advantage of the Internet. Right. I do a lot of research. And then typically uh, if I'm going to use a, uh, a retail store, I go in. I, I've do already done my research, so I know exactly what I want. Right. But my question to you is when when there's somebody coming in who's completely green 
right? And they don't know anything about hunting or they don't know what they need for, let's say, turkey hunting or shotgun hunting or bow hunting. And they come in and they say, can you help me? What's like, what's the first thing that you do, you know, to kind of get Um, them in the right direction? Yeah, the first thing I do is, you know, for one, find out kind of where they're at what they want to do with archery. Do they want to hunt? Or they just want to go shoot 3D shoots? Or they just want to go out in their backyard and shoot? Um, you know, because that kind of changes uh, the dynamic of it. You can, you know, you don't need everything if you're just going to go out in the backyard and, and shoot a bow. Um, so I kind of find out what they want to do, kind of find out where their budget is, um, and, and ask a few questions, see if they've had any kind of background in it whatsoever. Uh, so that's kind of the first thing I do when they come in. Gotcha. So... I know a lot of people um, that when, and I, I was one of them, when I, when I first started bow hunting, I wanted the cream of the crop when it came to, you know, I wanted the best possible bow on the market. You know, I, I'd spend whatever it took, you know, that was the single me with no kids talking. I wanted the best camo, the best arrows, the best broadheads. But then, you know, you realize over the years, you don't need the highest quality of equipment in some instances to kill uh deer so do you have to educate people on you know things like that where i mean price typically doesn't matter or are you kind of just like if the customer wants it we give it to them um you know i'm i'm pretty upfront and honest with customers very honest with customers as far as you know i let them know you know everybody wants to shoot 70 pounds well you don't need to shoot 70 pounds with the newer bows even the less expensive newer bows um, you know, or if you, if you want to spend the money and you want the cream of the crop, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but there's no reason to stretch that budget when a $300 bow will do everything a thousand dollar bow will do. Um, now granted that thousand dollar bow is going to be a little quieter. It's going to feel a little better through the shot process. That back wall is going to feel a little better. Uh, the grip's going to feel a little better. You're, you know, you're, it's just going to be a little, it's like driving a Cadillac and a Chevy. Um, you know, so if they want that and they can afford that, by all means, you know, I'll, I'll get them that. But usually, um, especially somebody new, I'll try to get them into a nice economy midline bow that will do everything that they need them to do. I mean, if you want to go out west and shoot an elk, you can go out west and shoot an elk with it. So there's no reason to, to buy that high, high-end stuff unless it's something you want. Right, right. So talking about archery specifically, what are some mistakes people may make or, you know, they come in with maybe a misconception? You know, you, you already mentioned that you don't necessarily have to shoot 70 pounds to kill a deer uh, or you don't necessarily have to have a top of the line. What are, what are some things that maybe people might be confused off, uh, you know, confused of right off the bat when purchasing archery equipment or, or getting set up to be a bow hunter? Uh, one of the big things is a lot of people think it's going to be easy. Um, you know, a lot of them have gun hunted their whole lives and they think they're just going to get a bow. They're going to walk out, shoot it 10 or 15 times, and they're going to go in the backwoods and they're going to harvest the deer. Um, that's probably the, one of the biggest misconceptions out there. I, you know, and I, I tell them, you got to put your time in. The more you practice, the better you'll be. Now, granted, the new bows, you know, it, it lets you get away with a little bit as far as not practicing as much. But so if you practice... If you practice for six months before the season, you're going to be much better than going out two weeks before the season uh, and practicing. So that's probably the biggest misconception I've ran into. Um, and another one that's kind of funny, you know, when you're sighting a gun in, it doesn't take very long. Um, and they think that myself or one of my archery techs or somebody can actually, or, or their buddy can sight the bow in for them. 
Um, Now they can, but it's probably not going to be within 10 inches of where they're shooting. So I I pour that to them that they they need to take and do that themselves. If they don't know how to do it, I'm I'm more than happy, especially with somebody that's green. I'll come over to the range with them for an hour or so after we've got all their bows set up for them. um, And we'll go through and I'll show them how to adjust their sights, adjust their rest. Or not the rest, excuse me. You don't want to touch that after I get that dialed in. But adjust their sights, you know, where the Allen wrench uh, bolts are to adjust that stuff and, and what they have to do with their grip and their form to help them shoot better. Right. So they walk, you know, they walk in, they start to shoot. You know, it's not, they, they realize that, oh, my God, if I want to be good at archery, which is a is 75% of bow hunting, basically, right? I mean, you have to be able to be efficient yeah. with your weapon. Um, yep. you know, other than, other than continuing to practice, is there anything, any other misconceptions or, uh, errors that you see a lot of people doing? Form, form is huge. Um, even with people that have been shooting, uh, for 10 years, 20 years, you know, they, they just weren't taught the right way. And myself, I wasn't taught the correct way when I started, I had no clue. Um, now part of that was, you know, you got to go to the right person or the right place to get your bow, somebody that can show you the correct form, somebody that's kind of knows how to do it, has taken the classes or, or practice with somebody that, that knows the form. Um, that's the biggest problem I see. Um, and the other thing is getting that person who's buying the bow that actually has shot for a while to realize they are shooting, not shooting the right way. So form, form is huge. Um, that will help you shoot so much better when you're, when you're in the field or you're just out the range shooting um, or if you're out in the field hunting. So I would say that would be the most important thing. Gotcha. Let's, let's go into a little bit of detail and form because I think you're right. And that, that's one thing that I'll be honest, as a archer, I do not have the best form, right? I, I watch the YouTube videos and I read the articles about, you know, you know, five ways to improve your form. What are some, what are some of the mistakes that you see people making right off the bat as far as form is concerned? Right off the bat would be grip of the bow, you know, how they're holding that bow. And the second one would be anchor point where that string needs to come back and touch the tip of their nose, corner of the mouth and have a really solid anchor point. A lot of people think, you know, your anchor point should be released where it's behind your head, touching your ear. Well, that can move, so you got to make sure you anchor off that string because that's something that's going to be stationary that's always going to be the same. That string isn't going to change. So I would say anchor point and your grip are the two most important things um, when you're getting into archery, or if you've been in it for a while and you just don't want to rehash your form out a little bit is, is the most important thing. You know, we can add some, some devices, a, a kisser button onto your string that will help find that anchor point a little bit quicker because a lot of people have trouble kind of finding that. They're, they sit back and they look at the string, try to find where to put the corner of their mouth, the tip of their nose. Um, so a kisser button will help that, help that so much. Um, and there's, there's little other things and aids that we can do to help with those two things. Gotcha. Yeah. That's the, that's one of the big mistakes that I made right off the bat. And I still struggle with it, uh, in the moment of truth type scenarios where I feel like I'm gripping my bow too hard and adding that torque into the bow. Uh, and, uh, that's something that I've had to practice with, you know, not treating the, the bow like a hammer, but more like a baby where you're just, you know, you're real gentle with it and not gripping it to try to drive a nail in. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, I, I get it. You know, and that's why I always tell people, you know, you don't need to white knuckle your bow when you're holding it. Um, you want to hold it just 
just firm enough so it doesn't go flying out of your hand when you shoot. Um, and if you hold it the right way, it should never go flying out of your hand anyway. So, yep, you do. You technically want to hold it like a baby in your hand when you're shooting it. And the more you practice, the better you will be. Right. Um, you know, there, there's lots of little things you can do with that. All right, let me ask you this then. You know, when I first started archery, man, I was like 14. 12 13 or 14 i really can't remember but i had a, a trigger you know a wrist release with a trigger on it um and i used a kisser button and all that stuff right and you know as i find out over uh over the years of doing archery it almost seems like a wrist strap release with a trigger on it may not have been the best thing for me to start off with it's almost like if if you knew what you were doing and you had a lot of time to practice maybe a uh, a back tension release would have been better just because of form and that surprise release and you know being better with accuracy so when someone comes in who's a first timer what kind of direction do you lead them in as far as a, a release is concerned um, usually, you know, and there's a lot of different theories and a lot of different beliefs on this. Right. There's really no right or wrong answer. You know, a back tension is really good if you can run it the right way, but if you can't run it the right way, then there's really no reason to have one, you know, cause you can still manipulate that back tension to go off, um, the wrong way. So essentially it's like punching your trigger with a wrist release. You can manipulate that back tension release to go off. So if, if they can pick it up pretty good, that's, hey, that's, that's great. I would be more than happy to get them into one. The other thing with the back tensions, they're really, really good if you're shooting paper, even 3D target stuff like that. I'm not a big believer in them for hunting. Other people are. The only reason I say that is when you're shooting a back tension, you, you can't just make it go off whenever you want. You have to go through that whole shot process you know, and, and go through the click and then and follow through and squeeze your back together and, and make it go off. So if there's a deer out there, you know how when you're deer hunting, it, it doesn't really work that way all the time. That deer might be moving, and then you have to completely let down and start your whole process over again. So me, myself, I'm not a huge believer in them for hunting. I would probably go more a three-finger thumb release if you want to go a handheld when you're hunting. Um, but there are a lot of people that use those back tensions too. So that's why I say there's no really right or wrong answer what release to use. You know, if you shoot them all the right way, they will all work very well for you. Yeah. The big thing with a, with a wrist release is, you know, they, they always, a lot of archers end up punching the trigger. You know, they won't rest that finger on the trigger and then just slowly pull their whole arm through the shot. They'll use their finger to manipulate that shot process. So if they can learn it the right way, there's really no right or wrong answer for a release. They, they all will work. They just all need to be shot the right way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, as far as, uh, you know, I think this, this uh, stereotype has kind of faded out a little bit from, from what I read and from what I've seen. But, you know, everybody wants to shoot, you know, a you know, 350 uh, feet per second bow, or just have this, you know, the arrow needs to be hauling ass down the range in order, you know, for it to be work. Right. And, you know, me and you know better, right. We, we know that, you know, speed of an arrow necessarily doesn't kill a deer. Um, so when someone says, Hey man, I want to shoot a thousand feet per second, what do you tell them? Um, there's really no reason for it. And I still have those people out there that they want the fastest bow and you're not going to talk it out of them. And, 
and that's what they're going to shoot. But I, I do give it an attempt to talk it out of them that, that, you, that you don't need that much speed. I mean, the, the Native Americans back in the 1800s, those, those bows they were shooting were going maybe 100 some feet per second, and they were still harvesting their animals. So you don't need that much speed. When you get speed, you give something away. Usually it's shootability of your bow. You know, you have to shorten that brace height uh, in your bow, or you have to have a real aggressive cam to get that extra speed. And when you do that, if you have any flaw whatsoever in your form, it's going to show it downrange. I mean, you're not going to have those tightest groups as you would with a with a with a slower bow, uh, with something that's a little more shootable, that's a little more forgiving in their hand. Gotcha. So, with with that said, then do you kind of guide people to a a heavier arrow setup then as well? Um. Yeah, a little bit. You know. The thing with, with arrows, the, the funny thing is, you know, you, when you see the big fat arrows that people are shooting for paper, you know, those are great to cut lines. But when you're, when you're shooting a hunting arrow, it sounds weird, but the smaller diameter arrow you can get with a little more weight will be more, more shootable, more uh, forgiving downrange. So what I try to get into, first of all, I want to see, or I ask what their budget is, because that's kind of important for me. I don't want, right. I don't want somebody to overspend and have so much money into it that, Oh gosh, you know they're they're worried about what their wife's going to say or what their husband's going to say. I want them more worried about what how they can shoot the bow. So first of all, I figure out their budget, and then I always kind of try to get them into that a little bit heavier arrow is good. I like a little smaller diameter arrow because um, the penetration is so much better, the shootability is so much better, uh, and with the new arrows out, you know these days even the smaller diameter arrows they are actually probably a little better made or a little heavier duty than some of the 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 standard shaft arrows. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Now here's the debate, right? This is probably every, I scroll through social media and every, it's almost like every week I see some company <laughs> or somebody asking this question, mechanicals versus fixed blades, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What's, what's the take on that? Um, there's really no, again, there's no right or wrong answer for say I shoot a, an expandable raised hypodermic. I've had great success with them. I've harvested a lot of mature whitetails with them, but some people just, how do I put this? Some people don't have the time uh, to worry about it because when you're shooting a, a mechanical, you have to be make sure every time you knock that arrow, that blade hasn't popped loose. Or if you, if you're one of the people that walk through your stand that has an arrow knocked that your arrow hasn't touched some brush or something and knocked that expandable away. Or, um, if you're somebody that ground hunts, you really got to be aware that those blades are still in those retention clips and they're not flopping loose because that will affect how that arrow flies. So I've kind of find out what that person style of hunting they have. Uh, because the nice thing about a fixed blade is, you know, it might not fly true to like a field point, but you can always recite in again, but it's never going to have to worry about something expanding or something coming loose. Right. Uh, so there's, you know, there's right and wrongs. So there's no, or there's no right and wrong to it. Um, you know, the nice thing about the expandables is you get a nice big cut. Doesn't penetrate as much as a fixed blade, but it flies a little truer. You know, it flies more like a field point. Right. Um, so there, you know, again, there's, there's just no right or wrong answer to it. Some states they'll only allow you to shoot a fixed blade, so you know you got to be ready for that or aware of that if you do go out west or something like that. Right. Um, and you got to and, and a big reason people don't like to shoot the the fixed blades is you have to recite in again all the time. Yeah, absolutely. you know it might be six inches or a foot off, and I get that. <clears throat> excuse me, I get that completely. You know, 
we're in a world today that's so fast paced that we just want to set it up, be done and go. Um, and as long as you're pretty anal about making sure your blades are where they're supposed to be and they're locked in all the time, I don't think, and you put that arrow where it's supposed to be, I don't think you're going to have a big problem with an expandable. Um, now, you know, I, I talked to you, Oh, this, this arrow, uh, broadhead sucks. It, It didn't do the job. I, I stuck the deer and it didn't die. Well, the thing is, if you put it in the right spot, truly, truly in the right spot, a field tip will kill an animal. Right. Um, so a lot of times you just don't know if it's the right spot they said they put it in. Um, so, you know, you just, you kind of got to take it for what that, what the person says and try to move them on to something else. But it truly, if you put it in the right spot and your blades are where they're supposed to be, they will do the job. So again, it's just kind of the style of hunting you're going to do. Uh, to what broadhead you're going to use is usually the kind of way I lead them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, like, I'm a huge fan of fixed blades. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. man, I don't even know. It was like five, I mean, I think it was over five years ago. I went on a elk trip in Idaho and Idaho yep. does not allow a, a mechanical broadhead. Right. So mm-hmm. I had to change. Mm-hmm. And I, until that point I was a mechanical guy. I said at that point, well, I'm going to switch to fixed blades permanently because I don't want to have to come home and then, you know, recite in my, my mechanicals again. So I just kind of stuck with uh, fixed blades at that mm-hmm. point. And, um, yeah. So do you ever have people, <laughs> this is a crazy question, but do you ever have people come in and blame the equipment say, Hey man, this broadhead didn't open or this bow didn't shoot fast <laughs> enough for me to kill that deer. Oh, every, all the time. It happens all the time. It does. <laughs> you know, or, or this bow won't shoot straight. This, this, I can't, these arrows are flying terrible. I, I get in the tree and I'm shooting eight dirt. And I hit this deer and it was up in the neck and I was aiming right in the middle and it's shooting two feet to the left when I'm in the tree. And 99% of the time, you know, we'll go to the range and I'll set up a broadhead target and they'll sit there and pump them right in the middle every single time. Um, and they just don't get it. Well, there's so much more going on when you're, right. when you have a white tail down range. They're pro- As I told them, I said, it happens to everybody. You know, I said, you're probably torquing the bow. Or I said, what time of day did you shoot them at? Oh, it was just right at first light. Could you see any twigs that were hanging around? Well, no. You know, so there's lots of stuff like that that happens. And it happens all the time. People come in and they, they blame it on the equipment. And every once in a while, it might, something might have come loose or something might have worked loose, you know. So it can happen. But like 99% of the time, um, it's just getting overexcited or their form, you know, going back to their form has to be really good. Um, you know, their anchor points, their grip has to be really good to, to, to execute that shot. So that's what I tell them. you got to practice, whether it's from an elevated position where you're hunting out of your tree stand or if you're hunting out of ground blind, you got to practice those situations. Right. Right. So, you know, obviously archery takes a lot of um, practice and patience to, to be good at it. Um, let's say someone has comes in, takes your advice, gets the, you know, the minimum just to get by and they do that for five years, six years, you know, however long. And now they say, all right, I want to upgrade and I want to, you know, I want to, I want to have better equipment. I want to have, you know, better functioning 
you know, things that function better or, you know, better camo, better boots. And I'm re- I'm ready to spend some money. Um, what direction do you guide them in at that point? I uh, usually I do if, if it's for like a bow, um, what I'll do is I'll take the three or four high end bows I have in the shop. We'll put a rest on them, uh, put a D loop on them, set them to the draw weight they want to shoot, set it to their draw length. And we'll go back to the range. We'll actually shoot them. Um, cause it's, it's like test driving a car. Each car or truck's a little bit different. So each bow's a little different. You got to find what feels good in your hand, what draw cycle feels good to you. Um, if a bow wants to jump when you're at full draw or if it sits in that valley real nice. Um, so we'll actually go over the range and we will, we will shoot all the high end bows I have, or at least three or four of them and kind of whittle it down to a couple. Um, and then just kind of keep shooting until they decide which, uh, which bow feels the best to them and which one they think will feel the, or will shoot the best for them in the future. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, now when, when people come in and they start to test out these bows, right? What, um, what do you find are the favorable attributes? Like do people like an, uh, an easy draw, a big Valley? Do they like no hand shock? Like what are some things that, people like the most about specific bows i guess you could say what are they looking for um you know it kind of varies a lot but i would say overall somebody's usually looking for a nice smooth easy draw that holds really well has a nice high let off that doesn't want to jump on them so i would say a nice easy draw is probably number one um but with with bows in the in, in today's time it's most of them drop pretty easy unless you're getting one of them speed bows. Right. And most of them don't have much hand, you know, not, they have very, very little hand shock. So sometimes it's really hard to differentiate between each bow um, when you're picking one out. So, um, you know, the big thing is that you just kind of make sure that fits in your hand um, and it draws nice and smooth. The other thing that's really, really important is getting the right drawing. How many times I've seen, I kind of got off topic here, but, how many times I've seen somebody bring a bow they bought used or bought somewhere and the draw length isn't set the right way and they're tearing their arm up and, and they can't shoot very well. And they're not, you know, they can't hit a pipe plate at 20 yards. Um, I see that so, so much. So the big thing is making sure that draw length is, is just right where it needs to be. That will make your shooting so much better going down the road. Yeah. Yeah. They, they kind of, they don't pay attention to the details. It sounds like. Yep, and a lot of people don't, or um, a lot of people that are green, like we were talking earlier, you know, they just don't know. They think, you know, a lot of bows come set at 29.70. Well, a lot of people aren't a 29-inch draw. I would say usually 28 is probably the most common draw length. Um, so getting that set the right way, it's it's like night and day. I'll have customers come in um, that their bow wasn't set the right length. They bought one somewhere and had it set up, and it wasn't set the right length and I'll reset it to where they need to be. And then we'll go to the range and shoot. And it just amazes them how much better that arrow flies and how much better they sight picture they get. They don't have to worry about tearing that arm up when that string goes by, especially if they're holding the grip the right way. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. So, you know, let's say a guy walks in and he has X dollar amount, right? And he needs, he needs a, a rest. He needs a bow. He needs a, uh, a site where where are some places that you can skimp and get spend less and maybe get a lower quality something and 
you're like, I, w- I need to put 80% towards the bow, right? You know, like, and then mm-hmm. I can skimp on the rest, right? Or I need to, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to skimp on the side or, you know what I mean? Sure. Oh, sure. I understand what you mean. Um, <clears throat> usually what I try to do when somebody comes in, um, you know, they have a certain amount they can spend where you can kind of skimp a little bit is on buying kits. So you get a sight, a rest, a quiver, a stabilizer, a wrist sling, all in together in a package. Um, now, granted, they're not high-end stuff, but they're they're good enough that they will work. They will do everything you need them to do. Um, the other thing that allows them to do is get into a little bit better bow. Um, you know, if you might, let's say you have, yeah, $600 to spend, um, you can get a kit for 100 bucks, and then so you can get yourself a $500 bow, where if you pieced out all those pieces and bought them individual, you might be spending $200 or more, so your quality of your bow will go down but you'll have a little bit better accessories. What I, what I usually believe is I, you know, get a little bit better bow first, get the, get the kit with it, put the, all the kit accessories on, and then you can kind of upgrade piece by piece as you go. If you want to do that, Um, you know, year by year, if you want to put a little different rest on down the road, you can do that. Um, But again, those kits have some really, really nice stuff in it for, for the money. Um, If you probably save up to half, um, Half, yeah, I'd say about half price, you know, sometimes if you, if you don't piece them out, if you just buy them as a kit. Gotcha. All right. So, you know, a lot of people will shoot their bow, you know, a month before the hunting season, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. get, get ready. Uh, they'll kill their deer. They put it back in, in their box, right? They don't do a lot mm-hmm. of maintenance. They pull it out and they do that year after year. What are some, uh, as far as your bow uh, and archery equipment is concerned, what are some things that we need to do maybe before or after the season to maintain or, or put a little maintenance into our archery equipment? Sure. Um, my customers, I usually tell them if they can get it in once a year to get the bow in once a year uh, to see if they've had any string stretch, to see you know if it's put that cam out of time a little bit, or if they have a fall-away rest, if, if their cord on their fall-away rest is stretched a little bit, or, you know, if some of their serving on their bowstring has split or they have some splits in their string, um, get it in early enough so you can check it out. For themselves, I would say waxing that string is huge. You want to make sure you wax your string um, whenever it needs it, especially at the end of the season when you're done, if you're going to put your bow away. But uh, wax your string. If it starts to get a little dry, put a little wax on it and rub it in real good so that string will heat up and absorb the wax. I see a lot of wax that just sits on the outside of the string which works okay, but the problem you run into there is if you have a big goo of wax sitting on your string, that collects dirt particles, dust particles, sand particles, and that's abrasive to your string. So you want to make sure when you're doing your maintenance and waxing your bow that you rub that wax in a really good heat string up so it absorbs into the string, just doesn't sit on top of it. That would be one thing that somebody could do um, themselves to make sure that they're checking their stuff. Uh, The other thing you always want to do, um, even before you go out, or, you know, check it once a week, check to make sure their rest is tight. Or if you have a string stop on your bow, check to make sure that's tight. Uh, check to make sure if you have modules in your can that the, that the bolts haven't worked loose a little bit. You know, it's, it's just good preventive maintenance to go through your bow. See if any bolts have worked loose, um, anything like that. So you can, you know, they could do that themselves, just snug them down. Um, that's not something hard. So I always tell guys, you know, go through that stuff, make sure, you know, everything's snug and needs to be where where it's supposed to be or as tight as it's supposed to be because you don't want to get out in the tree stand and have something loose and have a deer of your life come down the trail or, or a turkey of your life come up and 
and he can't make the shot. So checking that stuff is very easy for them to do, and, and it doesn't take very much time. So as far as, as them checking their bow and stuff, that would be the, probably the two things. Right. Yeah, and that's uh, that's pretty important, you know, because uh, I'd hate to I'd hate to be that guy who forgets, you know, it's been five years and he hasn't had a string replaced, or you know, something mm-hmm. comes loose because he bumped it the previous year and didn't, didn't check it, and uh, maybe has some accuracy issues that first month before, you know, when they're practicing that first month before the uh, season starts, and then they get out there and they shank on a booner or you know or hit it in the neck and they don't find it until shed hunting season. You know what I mean? So. Oh yeah. Yep. It happens a lot. Uh, it really does. I hear those stories a lot where, you know, somebody, uh, it's one of those guys that, that doesn't shoot till a week before season pulls his bow out, takes a couple shots. Well, he didn't realize his rest was a little bit loose. Um, so it shot okay for the first few arrows, but he didn't check it. And then he went out in the field and, and his arrow, you know, went flying, 12 inches over the top of the deer and then kind of find out his rest of worked even looser taking the bow out to the field. Yeah. It happens quite a bit. And there's, you know, it's just little things you can do to check that a lot of bows, like I said, in their cams, top and bottom cam, a lot of bows are two cam anymore. Um, have little modules to, to change their draw lengths. Well, sometimes those bolts will work loose that hold those modules. Um, and it'll, it'll rattle or it could get caught in between the limb in the cam. So it's something you always want to check. It's very easy just to snug them back down. Um, you know, that's just stuff you kind of want to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so when it comes to archery equipment, you know, for the bow hunter, is there any other advice or maybe some details that, or, you know, knowledge that you have that you'd like to pass on, you know, to, so everybody understands it a little bit more clearly. Um, well, not as far as bow, you know, the bow itself and the equipment for the bow, but the big thing I found when I'm out in the field hunting, if it's somebody that wants to hunt is you have to stay warm. Yeah. Um, that's the first thing that can eat your hunt up. Uh, so invest in a good pair of boots, yeah. uh, in, in warm clothing, good gloves. Um, I found a couple suits out there that work pretty well that's in for really cold weather that you can pull over the top of you. So my, my one thing is, you know, make sure you stay warm in the stand because that can ruin a hunt faster than anything. Yes, I agree 100% because I used to be that guy who, you know, <clears throat> back in the day when I couldn't afford the, the camo that I have now, I was that guy who looked like the kid on the Christmas story who was wearing about oh, yeah. <laughs> 50 hooded sweatshirts out to the timber and, and, and still yeah. you know, I'd be soaking wet when I got there that cooled, then I'd get cold feet mm-hmm. would get cold cause I'm wearing cotton, yep. everything and, uh, socks. I've learned that sock, the right socks, the right boots and mm-hmm. a really good base layer, like are hugely important and can defi- oh, yeah. definitely yeah. change the game when it comes to sitting for long periods of time in colder weather. Oh yeah, it does. Um, it really does. You know, and the other thing is that I always tell people and and a lot of people do this, you know, they don't put their coat on or their outer layers on as far as your, you know, up top till they get to the, up in the stand and sit down. Right. You want to stay as cool as you can going to the stand. You know, like you just said, you had 50 sweatshirts on and you're soaking wet by the time you got to the stand. Well, you'll be all right for about a half hour till it starts to cool down. Yeah. Um, so if, if you can, you know, pack your coat and your, your, say your uh, sweatshirt that you have underneath your coat or something like that, 
into the stand. And then once you get there, give yourself just a couple minutes to cool down and then put that stuff on. You'll stay way, way warmer um, in the stand that day. Right. And I take it that the like you you carry several different clothing lines as well, like probably hot, some high end stuff all the way down to some beginner stuff as well. Oh yeah, yeah, we'll carry anything from the from the high end carbon stuff to to just the entry level stuff, um, you know, that's pretty inexpensive. So and that's, you know, that's the big thing too. And I, I truly believe in that carbon stuff and in the clothing. I've had it work a lot. Um, but that uh, but the but the entry level clothing is just as warm, you know, if not warmer in some instances. So you can still buy that entry level clothing and be very efficient when you deer hunt. That's when you have to play the wind. Make sure your clothes are washed, scent free before you go out. Um, you know, spray yourself down with a cover scent or, or a scent away spray before you go out or the night before and let it dry. Um, so you can be really efficient with that entry level clothing. You just got to make sure that it's a quality entry level clothing. That's important um, that you have that you have a nice, good stitch on it. That it's not going to fall apart that first two weeks you're out in the field. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I tell you what, man, uh, I really appreciate uh, you taking time out of your day to chit-chat with us today. Uh, keep us informed about uh, your shop and uh, where it's located and, uh, you know, the ins and outs of, you know, bow hunting. We talked a lot about uh, some entry-level stuff, and uh, I think next time we talk, maybe we'll get into some more detailed, advanced uh, type archery talk but uh, other than that I, you know I really appreciate your, you taking time out of your day to uh, give us all this information yeah no I appreciate being here with you um, again yeah if you want to come up to the shop we're at, we're at Fort Dodge Highway 169 and 7 1597 3rd Avenue Northwest is the physical address but if you come up Highway 69 that intersects with Highway 7 we're right there and there you have it, another Iowa Sportsman podcast signed, sealed, and delivered for your ears. Thank you very much for tuning in. Like I mentioned in the intro, please go to iTunes or wherever you download this podcast and leave a review. That would be much appreciated. Also, go visit the Iowa Sportsman website, iowasportsman.com, and subscribe to the magazine and read all the articles and go sign up to be uh, following along on the Facebook page and look out for the Instagram uh, page coming soon. Other than that, I think we're good to go. Hopefully everybody has a great rest of your week and a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.